Good morning. I'm Debbie Cruz. It's Tuesday, June 20th. A new book looks into how slavery in California continues today. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. MTS routes in the South Bay and East County are back in operation. This comes after a strike put them out of operation for a month. Drivers returned to work yesterday after Teamsters Local 683 and TransDev reached an agreement over the weekend. Routes in the South Bay are running every 30 minutes instead of 15, but routes in East County are back to their normal schedule. Streetside dining near beaches in the city of San Diego may soon be a thing of the past. That worries people like Joe Bartling, who is the general manager and part owner of 710 Beach Club in PB. If they take it all away from us, that'll be a real drag. Because, you know, people like to sit outside, especially this close to the beach. So we're just keeping our fingers crossed, trying to stay positive. The roadside patios emerged during the pandemic and were a lifeline for local bars and restaurants. But the State Coastal Commission plans to curb the practice in the coming weeks because the eliminated parking spaces could limit people's access to the coast. The San Diego City Council recently agreed to the commission's recommendations. Affected businesses can keep their street-side dining areas if they replace the eliminated parking spaces with free nearby off-street parking. Today's the last day of spring and temps are expected to warm up today. It'll be sunny with temperatures in the low 70s and the same goes for tomorrow. But don't get too excited just yet because the National Weather Service says it's expected to cool down again at the end of the week. A new book looks at the history of slavery in California and how it continues today. We have this aura of this utopian dream of sunshine and surfers and the wine country. All of that is sitting right on top of a desperate situation of modern slavery. More on that next, after the break. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Slavery is often associated with the South, but in her new book, historian Jean Felser looks at 250 years of slavery and slave revolts in California. It's called California, a slave state. Felser spoke with reporter Katie Heisen about this past and how it continues today. I don't think when most Americans think of slavery that they think of California. What is California's history of slavery and how is it different from how slavery unfolded in the rest of the country? Part of what defined slavery in California is that it both imported legal traditions and practices of brutality, ways of registering ownership, ways of hanging on to slaves, even in places where there was freedom. That was imported from the East. 
But California has this unique geography. It was a beautiful, fertile, fecund state that had the border, it had the mines, it had no labor force. And that was one of the driving forces to slavery. Who was going to work and profit from this new land that we had just captured from Mexico? The presence of the American military, they were there to enforce and implement with a lot of brutality, the slavery of Native Americans and the gold rush brought people and labor traditions and a need for workers from all over the world. What I didn't know, even growing up in California, was that plantation slave owners had marched about 2,000 enslaved plantation blacks from the South. And so there was a tradition of Southern slave owners who immediately took control of the state and wrote their codes into California law. You wrote that California entered the United States with a state constitution to never tolerate slavery, then within months legalized enslaving indigenous people. When I read that, I thought it's racial injustice just underneath a progressive surface. Do you see ways that persists today in California? We have this aura of this utopian dream of sunshine and surfers and the wine country and great food and a free-spirited sexuality. And all of that is sitting right on top of a desperate situation of modern slavery. If you walk through parts of San Francisco, you can see barred windows and no signage. And those are sweatshops. We see girls standing by the freeway exits selling flowers. Um, Those girls are very likely trafficked. We see teenage girls at truck stops. And we now know at the detention centers at the border, desperate migrants are being either sold or escape and take the opportunity to flee from the detention centers and find themselves trafficked as field workers, as factory workers. Unfree people are being taken from the prisons. And then there's sexual slavery. Sites like Craigslist, or the site that just got shut shut down, Backpage.com. So it's happening now, and it's built on the traditions that grew over the 250 years. What do you think justice would look like now? Right now, there are serious moves for reparations in California. And for the first time, somebody's putting a price tag on what this history costs us. The figure for the last three weeks has been $8 billion. And I think the cost has startled people. And yet it's going to cost us to pay for being downstream from the history we created. That was historian Jean Felser speaking with KPBS reporter Katie Heisen about her new book, California, A Slave State.
The long-running effort to redevelop the sports arena in San Diego got a big boost when billionaire Stan Kroenke became the project's main investor last week. Reporter Kitty Alvarado has the details. Stan Kroenke, the owner of the LA Rams and Denver Nuggets, is now the lead investor in the Midway Rising redevelopment project. It is so compelling and it is such an exciting investment opportunity that one of the most successful and uh, deep-pocketed real estate investors has chosen San Diego. That's Jim Anderson, the chief development officer at Chelsea Investment Corporation, the partner company in charge of the affordable housing component. The project is slated to add a 16,000-seat arena on the 50-acre property, replacing the historic Pachanga Arena in the Midway district. It will also add retail space, a hotel, a plaza and park, plus 4,200 housing units. 2,000 affordable housing units is the single largest affordable housing project in the history of California. Never been done. Are we going to do it? You bet. Anderson says Kroenke is the perfect fit for the team they have assembled because he's not just a person with capital, but also follow through with accomplishments like SoFi Stadium. That takes an individual that is willing to push and push hard to achieve that result. I think it's a great endorsement of this project and a great endorsement of our region. He says the backing of such a large investor willing to pour money into Midway Rising makes what is now a vision one step closer to becoming a reality. It simply just really gives the project a turbo boost. The cost for the Midway project is expected to be disclosed next month. Kitty Alvarado, KPBS News. Four additional miles of carpool lanes on the 5 freeway have opened in North County. As North County reporter Alexander Wynn tells us, it's supposed to reduce commuting times by half. Nine miles of HOV lanes opened on Interstate 5 last year. With the additional miles, the North County coastal communities will have a total of 13 miles of carpool lanes. It's a joint project between Caltrans and Sandag. Lisa Heepner is the mayor of Solana Beach and the second vice chair of Sandag. I've noticed that the traffic is running a lot smoother on the freeways and, um, and that you know, people are spending less time. People are taking advantage of traveling together with other passengers to work. The southbound lanes opened Wednesday, and the northbound lanes are slated to open next week. Alexander Wynn, KPPS News. In other transportation news, traffic calming infrastructure is being made permanent on a street in PB. Metro reporter Andrew Bowen says the project began at the beginning of the COVID pandemic. Three years ago, San Diego began its Slow Streets pilot program on Diamond Street and Pacific Beach. Signs directed drivers to take parallel streets for through traffic. Ryan Stock of the nonprofit Beautiful PB says the result was more families and kids biking there, and fewer people needing cars. That's why the traffic calming is being made permanent. PB is a very popular place to go. We are only going to have more people coming here over time as the city grows and evolves. And the only solution there is either to build giant parking lots or to get less people driving here. Starting Wednesday, the city will install traffic diverters that allow only bikes, pedestrians, and emergency vehicles to pass through certain intersections. Andrew Bowen, KPBS News. Coming up, we continue our public art series with artist Roberto Salas. I said, I have to create something that sort of offers the family a place to be, a place to walk, to meditate, to think. 
We'll hear that story and more just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. A recent study reveals juvenile white sharks congregate along Dalmore's beaches. It's one of two hotspots in Southern California. North County reporter Alexander Wynn tells us the study also shows how close sharks swim to people. Sun, sand, and surf. The beaches of Del Mar are some of the best in the world, and they're popular with swimmers and surfers. And sharks seem to like them too. Patrick Rex, a field technician at Cal State Long Beach's Shark Lab, led the study. He found that sharks were swimming closer to humans than we may think. I thought the sharks would avoid people. What we found, though, is that sharks were right around people. They were using the exact same place. The study found that juvenile white sharks are concentrated in two areas, South Santa Barbara County and Del Mar. In those two spots, sharks were swimming next to humans around 97% of the days surveyed. But there were no reports of a shark attack in the surveyed area during the study. Alexander Nguyen, KPPS News. On the topic of sea life, SciTech reporter Thomas Fudge tells us how the California squid withstands drastic changes in water temperature. The only thing most of us know about the California market squid is that plate of calamari we got at the restaurant. But UC San Diego molecular biologist Kavita Rangan also knows they're able to survive in tropical regions and in ocean waters near freezing. So she gathered some squid hatchlings from their spawning ground near the Scripps Pier in La Jolla and brought them into her lab. And I just took uh, these animals as they hatched out and put them in tanks of different temperatures and just kept them in there for one day, extracted their RNA, and then looked to see how does their editing change. She saw so-called motor proteins moving along a track, bearing a cargo of genetic information that allowed the cells to adapt to changing temperatures. Rangan says this presents the possibility that we could engineer our own proteins to change disease outcomes. Because when it comes to the function of some proteins, there is not a lot of difference between us and a squid. Thomas Fudge, KPBS News. It's been said that public art can greet us, provide entry points, and even force a conversation. As part of KPBS's public art series, reporter Amitha Sharma spoke with prolific public artist Roberto Salas about a work of his that's often compared to one of the world's wonders. This is art you can actually touch. This is art, in the words of its creator, Roberto Salas, that should give you a sense of the primordial, historical, archaeological. It's made of terracotta colored sandstone, extracted, cut, and transported from the quarries of New Mexico in 2001. It now stands in a stretch of park on Grove Avenue in the South Bay community of Nestor. This piece is called Plaza Piedras, so a plaza 
I figured that could be a plaza. The other, of course, is stone. San Diego's Commission for Arts and Culture hired Salas to create artwork meant to offset the drab industrial feel of the nearby wastewater treatment facility called the Grove Avenue Pump Station. His work sits in what was once an empty lot among homes and apartments. There was a lot of people walking through this particular street in this community of Nestor with strollers, a lot of families. I said, I have to create something that sort of offers the family a place to be, a place to walk, to meditate, to think. The piece starts with a few sandstone benches that line Grove Avenue, then continues on either side of a sidewalk into the park all the way to its center. There stand four 13 feet tall sandstone pillars. I needed something upright, something to look up and admire, and it's bigger than we are. You know, everybody says, oh, is it Stonehenge? <laughs> Salas says no, but the vibe of the stone pillars is ancient. It looks like you're looking into the universe. Plus, they have fossils, a lot of beautiful imprints, and there is something mysterious about them. I feel that there's a frequency through each stone, and they do have souls. He put his own markings on the stones. They are markings that sort of reminisce old pictographs or uh, petroglyphs that I have in there. Each of the four stone pillars has a stencil of the elements. Wind, you know, earth, fire, and water. In the middle of the circle of stone pillars and benches is a place to play. This piece here, what you're seeing right in here is a 20-foot diameter sandbox or sand circle. If you go in here and you dig, you'll find concrete carvings that reflect the area's history, drip irrigation, a dinosaur, a dairy farm. It creates some curiosity, a little bit of critical thinking. This is, what is this all about? Benches made out of that same sandstone intersperse the stone pillars. This is one way that I could have parents sit, talk, children are looked at, they're supervised. I love the fact that somebody can come here and say, oh, okay, I, I really like what's going on here, and they can enjoy it. It gives them a sense of place. He expects that feeling to last for generations because of the stone's longevity. You can see that these have been weathered. They've gone through a few things, but in general, they'll be here. They'll all live me, and that's the beauty of public art. Amitha Sharma, KPBS News. For more on KPBS's public art series, go to kpbs.org slash public art. That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thanks for listening and have a great Tuesday. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu.